0: Franklin Four published this fascinating and very controversial piece at Slate.com. And honestly, it has been driving me nuts ever since.
1: <laughs> there is not a world in which a probability exists that a Russian bank just happens to be communicating with a Trump server. Totally coincidentally, and is 80% of the traffic going to that server.
2: For example, the allegation is that these were just requests sent Via the DNS from Alpha Bank back to the Trump organization, maybe in response to spam. That argument doesn't hold water for me, Cooper.
0: Hello and welcome to TrumpCast. I'm Virginia Heffernan. So, this is the first show in ages that we haven't been talking about that angry, lechy person who likes beer and is now a justice of the Supreme Court of the United States. And it's kind of a relief. Instead, my guest is Franklin Foer. Frank is a national correspondent for The Atlantic, and he's written a piece that follows up on reporting he did in 2016 for Slate. Reporting he did in 2016 for Slate short sells the piece Frank wrote, though. The link will be in show notes at slate.com Trumpcast. And you got to look at that piece. It was a blockbuster. It delved into some very insistent communications between a Russian bank and the Trump operation in 2016. The piece was among the first to show a direct Trump-Russia connection during the campaign. In October of 2016, a week before the election, Frank didn't say the connections between the campaign and this bank were a felony or were even an emergency, but he did say, given Trump's open ties to Russia and soft spot for Vladimir Putin, that they might be worth cranking into our voting calculations. Frank was very not greeted as a hero. The left-wing media thought he was being Russophobic to advance a Hillary Clinton agenda, and they told him so. The mainstream media thought he was overreaching. So the Times muted these discoveries by cutting up a story by another reporter concerned about the Russia-Trump connections. And then the Times gave it their own horrible headline.
1: Investigating Donald Trump. FBI sees no clear link to Russia. (sighs) That headline.
0: We all went to the polls thinking Hillary Clinton was under enormous suspicion while Trump had somehow been cleared. Since that summer of 2016, shudder, reporters and Robert Mueller have unearthed nothing but crystal clear links between Trump and Russia. And this week, some of the links were spelled out in a piece by Dexter Filkins in The New Yorker that confirms and expands on Franklin Foer's two-year-old reporting. Does that seem like vindication? I don't know. Are the latest reporting and the indictments from the Mueller investigation vindication for all the concerned citizens who saw Putin's puppet elected when we all knew he was Putin's puppet? Do they vindicate the investigator who first called Trump Putin's puppet, Hillary Clinton? Not exactly. But it's satisfying that the reporters who were considered Cassandras that summer, Franklin Farr, David Korn, Eric Lichtblau, are now required reading in understanding Russia's military attack on American democracy and how Trump and his circle helped that attack. We'll be back with Franklin Farr in just a minute, but first, the tweets.
1: Hello, Trump cats. So great to be back. Doing the tweets. So exciting. Russia has never tried to use leverage over me. I have nothing to do with Russia. No deals, no loans, no nothing. The illegal Mueller witch hunt continues in search of a crime. There was never collusion with Russia except by the Clinton campaign. So the 17 angry Democrats are looking at anything they can find. Very unfair and bad for the country. Also not allowed under the law. Quote, Hillary Clinton and the DNC paid for information from the Russian government to use against her government. There's no doubt about that. Close quote, Tucker Carlson. Even Mother Nature is a Trump supporter. Under the Trump administration, hurricanes have been bigger, wetter, and covered more area.
0: Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters. Joining me on the phone to talk about all the early reporting on Trump-Russia ties, including his own, is Franklin Foer. He's a national correspondent for The Atlantic. His recent piece, Suspended Animation in the Age of Trump, follows up on reporting he did in 2016 for Slate. Welcome, Frank.
2: So great to be here.
0: So as you you are somewhat of an animating principal of Trumpcast because you published the story that we're going to talk about today in 2016, about suspicious activity between the Alpha Bank server and a, and a Trump domain. All kinds of things happened after that. But one of the things that happened is Donald Trump was elected president of the United States, and your reporting continued to pan out in other people's hands. And all of us recognized that there was more and more evidence of uh, what Robert Mueller calls a conspiracy to defraud the United States. And Trumpcast has been on top of that story since you broke it. And Jacob continues to give you credit um, on the show for sort of setting our compass in that direction.
2: Talk us through how you did that story. The beginning of the campaign, um, I was working on a book and I was at home and somehow I ended up having coffee with Julia Turner, the editor of Slate, who's now um, on her way to the L.A. Times uh, and Julia, and I just started talking and I, I kind of had this feeling like I need to cover this campaign because it's so fascinating. I was watching Trump's rise and it was fascinating and then became incredibly disconcerting. And in the summer of 2016, I'd written a, one piece about Paul Manafort, which led me into thinking about Russia and Trump. Mm-hmm. And I wrote a piece in, in July 4th for Slate called Putin's Puppet, where I was just open source sort of way pulling together. All the information that was out there about Trump's ties to Russia, his advisors' ties to Russia, his statements about Russia, Russia's intentions in Western elections, the way that they had constantly tried to manipulate things. And there was already stuff that was out there by the summer of 2016 because the DNC had been hacked. There were stories mm-hmm. about the Clinton Foundation being hacked. Julian Assange, even in June of 2016, was saying that he was sitting on top of Hillary Clinton's email. Um, and it mm-hmm. was and Julian Assange had clear Russian connections. And so that kind of got me into this this area. And then I wasn't really doing much writing in the, the, for the rest of the summer of 2016 because I had a book that was due. But then I, I kind of just started hearing rumors about this New York Times story about a server that had connected the Trump organization to a bank in Moscow called Alpha Bank. And I mm-hmm. heard that the New York Times story had stalled out. And, you know, you you hear gossip. And so I just kept hearing, all right, Dean Baquet and The Times were kind of so content with their coverage of the campaign. They thought that they had Pulitzers coming to them, that they were kind of dissing. And they'd taken so much heat for their, so much of the other coverage that they were disinclined to take this extra risk on the story. And I somewhat understand that decision um, because it is, there were a lot of risks inherent in the story because-
0: well, wait a second. You're very careful in this, like in this lovely new piece in the Atlantic about the story and about the fallout from the story. To I think you even say extend empathy to um, Dean yeah. Baquet at the New York Times. But we can be slightly less politic here and say it is still enigmatic and galling that Eric Lichtblau's. Report on the server, which is the one that you had heard rumors about, and you sort of began to understand who his sources were. That that's the one that Dean Baquet decided there wasn't enough to go with, or something in the climate of expecting Hillary to win meant that the Times didn't do anything about that, which it felt horrifying to readers. I think, like myself at the time, when they downplayed the Lichtblau story and spun it as exonerating for the Trump campaign, but it's become Weirder still, as The Times has failed to take responsibility for this and even done its own version of firing James Comey and firing Liz Spade, the former public editor who criticized the paper for making that decision.
2: Now, this October 31st story is like a crucial document in the history of the 2016 presidential campaign. And that's the story that has the headline about how the FBI was investigating Russia, Russian ties to Trump, but didn't find any.
0: It's people people compress it as they can they compress the headline as it's called the no clear links. So the FBI, October 31st, a week before the election, has found no clear links between Trump and and Russians. There
2: there, there are two separate editorial decisions that The New York Times made, it seems like, in the course of October. One was that they weren't going to publish Liz Blau's report about the connection between this bank and in the Trump organization. And to me, that was an understandable decision because the evidence was murky. Mm -hmm. But then they made the second decision that, um, and in fact, I kind of had the sense from people within the New York Times that uh, it would be helpful if I had published my story, that that would give them space to be able to publish their story on Alpha Bank. When of course the Mm -hmm. opposite happened with that October 31st story, where the New York Times made the decision not just to, not run their story about alpha bank but to take this take the narrative in this other direction where they were completely downplaying any sort of connection between the trump campaign and russia and they took this line of from fbi from the fbi which was that they they looked into all these things and there just wasn't that much there and the server they looked into and it was probably innocuous but they couldn't tell that story was so weird because the mere fact that the FBI was investigating Trump's ties to Russia is a big story. And you would think that would be the headline, not the fact that they were in the early stages of an investigation and hadn't quite found anything yet. Because that's the truth. And by October of, of 2016, the FBI was still in the earliest stages of looking into things. They'd just gotten their Pfizer warrant for Carter Page. They had just started to look at this Alpha Bank story. They just started to look at all the dozens of little threads that connected Trump to Russia in ways that could be nefarious. And to me, that was the big story. And instead, they just didn't want to take any sort of journalistic risk in this last stages of the campaign by overhyping that fact. And so they went in the other direction. And the Alpha Bank part of that story, which is just a couple paragraphs buried towards the end, were significant. Because the Times had a lot of complicating or perhaps contradictory evidence about how the ties between the Trump server and the the Moscow servers were real and that there were all sorts of other pieces of suspicious evidence that existed. And and they didn't include any of that knowledge in the piece that they published, which is just a, a strange omission, in my view.
0: By the way, we're leaving out this was that was not the front page of the New York Times the day that day. The front page was about the investigations into Hillary Clinton, so that is definitely a newspaper an an issue of the New York Times that will live in infamy. But they the the piece also, as is the Times' practice, didn't mention your reporting. Let's talk about your reporting because it's not nothing what you discovered. So let's let's just go through. Quickly, but, you know, meaningfully, that 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 first piece of yours.
2: Yeah. So so what 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 had happened was that there was this group of computer scientists who are kind of charged with policing the Internet on behalf of Internet service providers. A lot of them have ties to governmental agencies that probably do shady things. They're kind of guardians of the Internet. And they saw that the DNC had been hacked and they were looking for other signs that other campaign-related organizations uh, were were being hacked. And so they were focused on Trump and Clinton domains. And they saw this one Trump domain that was very suspiciously communicating with, with only banks in Moscow and a healthcare company in Michigan. And so they mm-hmm. thought, this is interesting. This is something we need to keep our eyes on. And so over the course of the summer, they kept collecting data about the communications between this bank and the Trump organization and this healthcare company in Michigan. And over time, they began to rule out all of the other innocuous explanations for why they might be communicating, that there was some possibility that it could have just been spam going back and forth. Uh, there was there was mm-hmm. uh, or bots who were communicating with one another. And so they they over the summer they kind of knocked down explanation after explanation and they were kind of stuck with this thesis that this was a communications channel that had been conceived in order to conceal its existence from the outside world. Hmm. Now there are a lot of reasons why it seems almost strange. It seems strange or nonsensical that they would use this server for a, a covert communications channel because it was also. Clearly linked to the Trump organization, but they really couldn't come up with any other explanation for why it had been created in the way that it was created. And, you know, after all, most of us, you know, communicate on the internet with the assumption that if we choose covert communication channels, if we work through Signal or if we work through whatever, nobody's going to be eavesdropping on us. And so, mm-hmm. You know, they thought that they very cleverly perhaps created this communications channel that nobody would ever see, not knowing that there was this group that was monitoring internet communications around the world. And so I tried to be very clear in the Slate article about what they said that they knew for sure and what they were speculating about. And I think that my past work on Russia is actually important here because I came at this with the assumption that... Russia was trying to influence the election. And also that, you know, I could see uh, that the people who were running the Trump campaign had all these other ties to Russia, and were also capable of doing nefarious things. So all of this felt theoretically, highly plausible to me.
1: Mm -hmm. And so, Mm -hmm.
2: you know, but you when you're a reporter, and you're working under deadline, and the deadline is really election day, and you feel like you've got an important piece of information you're faced with a choice. Do I go out into the world with this story that has pretty significant holes in it in that I couldn't tell you what the communications were about? I -hmm. couldn't tell you for sure if it was human communication. Um, Those are pretty significant holes. But I made the calculus that uh, the computer scientists I were dealing with were top class. They were at the top of their field. That the information that they had was was authentic and valid and that this was something that the public had the right to know before the election, because it did seem almost unimpeachable at that moment that Russia was trying to influence the election. And it, you know, everything that we saw on the public record showed that the Trump people were not so shy about their willingness to work with the Russians. I mean, Trump himself was just so, enthusiastic about Putin about the prospect of them hacking Hillary Clinton's emails, et cetera, et cetera. So it felt to me like, all right, this was not a this is not a journalistically perfect story. But if I'm transparent enough about the, the big, the big questions, it was clearly worth it for the public to get a hold of that information.
0: Looking back, and now since the occasion for your revisiting this is Dexter Filkins' piece in the in the New Yorker, that as you say meticulously details some of fills in some of the the missing parts in the story that were not available to you in 2016, but in general confirms what you learned and advances that right. story. And of course, now we have the Mueller investigation; we have plenty of indictments. Um, your guy Manafort is. Um, seems to be doing a nice job turning in uh, Deripaska and so forth. Even hearing you revisit that moment, just how cautious you were, Filkins, I think, takes the time, or, or maybe maybe you do, but take the, takes the time to say these computer scientists were, one of them describes himself as a John McCain Republican, nobody's right. partisan here. I, I mean, one thing that's so frustrating is all the pains that we take to say in these investigations that we're not partisan— because empiricism itself is endangered. I mean, yeah. you don't need to sh- tell me that two thousand connections between the Alpha Bank server and this, you know, slightly arcane or hidden domain name of the, t- you know, Trump domain name. If you saw two thousand advances on a door with a screwdriver, you would think somebody's trying to get in touch with somebody there. But just the amount of and what was so
2: maddening about that. Yeah, stretch before the election was that everybody was convinced Hillary was going to win. And so that created kind of the almost epistemic conditions for us understanding Mm -hmm. information like this. And so there were so many people, especially on the left, who saw Hillary just railing against Russia incessantly. And they saw it all through the lens of Iraq, that she was going to come in. And she was on the basis of dubious information going to amp up tensions with Russia in the hopes of creating a new Cold War. And this so gets to the, that this was definitely, their worldview, they were just this, incapable of seeing the nefarious steps that Russia was taking to try to influence the election. And they were incapable of imagining that a Trump presidency could be far worse than any of their nightmares about Hillary Clinton. And so they just weren't, um, they weren't in uh, kind of a position to honestly receive this sort of evidence, I think.
0: There's and they're still not. I mean, it, you know, yeah. when you're talking about the left, you like, you know, one avatar of this would be the Intercept, Glenn Greenwald's joint. And that and and the Intercept at the time basically undid your reporting or tried to undo it. And I noticed after Dexter Filkins' piece and after you wrote your own piece that on Twitter, another Intercept person just said back, "Well, it still is meaningless the communication between Alpha Bank and and the and this Trump domain. Well, what does this prove? I mean, I don't see any evidence that the the left." media or the Bernie types or whatever have budged on this. I mean, they seem in some cases to have doubled down on Hillary would have been worse. And the Russia stuff, as Glenn Greenwald says, is exaggerated or paranoia by neoliberals. How did that even happen? And did you honestly feel like you were going a little insane around that time?
2: Yeah, I did. Look, I'd written a story about DNS connections and, and about aspects of, of, of that were highly technical of communications with the server that is a very, very specialized sub-discipline of computer science. And I admittedly am not an expert. I had to rely on other experts and had to do my best to try to, as a generalist, understand what was happening. And so when you have a bunch of experts jumping up and down saying, you're wrong, it's very, very unnerving. And then it was also when you go out on a limb (laughs) with reporting, uh, you have a bunch of people on Twitter dismissing you out of hand. It's very easy to get spun around to kind of feel like, hey, what the hell? Why am I the only one who's seeing this? And then you begin to ask yourself the obvious question, which is, did I get something wrong? And for Mm -hmm. journalists, uh, it's like that, that, that fear of getting it wrong is such... such a scary thing because uh, if you get something big wrong, it kind of destroys your fundamental basis for practicing the trade. And so I I think that that's one thing that, uh, that critics don't always see when you go out on a limb like that, you don't do it just to be exhibitionist. (laughs) You do it because you think you're right. And when you're kind of brusquely dismissed without a whole lot of uh, basis uh, it's you you know, you're lobbing a charge that goes straight to the professional core.
1: Yeah. But but wait, Um, I want to say one other thing.
2: I'm not a fan of Glenn Greenwald or the, you know, a lot of the people who are criticizing the basis for the story. I think it's also important for us always to have evidence and reporting. And, you know, we, we can't stray beyond what we know. And so with the server story, for instance, you know, I think it looks incredibly suspicious. But the truth is, is that we we don't know. You know, I don't think the innocuous explanations hold, but, you know, you can imagine that, uh, you know, the Trump organization was filled with so many dubious people. Maybe it wasn't related to the campaign who, you know, there, there are possibilities for other explanations emerging. And so we can't say with any degree of of precise certitude what actually was happening there in terms of the the actual substance of communication. To me, it's just one more really powerful data point for why we need the Mueller investigation to kind of proceed with as much latitude as possible to get to the bottom of these mysteries.
0: Like a lot of people, I was tossing and turning during the Kavanaugh confirmation, and I tried to get to the heart of what was so maddening and perplexing about it. And it was the resistance to an FBI investigation, that, especially right. when Dr. Ford kept bringing it up and just saying, like, look, this is just what I have for you. I have a bunch of leads. Like, I was eyewitness to what looked like a crime to me, and and that's it. And go look up stuff. Get the FBI on it. Call a uh, Safeway. And, you know, that blocking of like, we're not going to pursue this anymore. And this is a false accusation and we've got to block it. That was so weird in the response to your piece where you just said, let's look further into this. And now with two years hindsight, we know more than two years. We now have steady confirmation. I mean, there hasn't been. Yeah. I don't think anything in your piece You've had to undo any of it, have you? Right. And, right. and no. the tone um, and, and the I tone one, was merely you know, an offering to other reporters <laughs> or investigators.
2: Well, here's the other thing. So, first, obviously, the way that my piece was received kind of creates a sense of dread among other people who, who about who who would potentially look into the story. It's like, ah, do I really want to go into that morass? And what if I'm wrong? Am I, you know, will I just be greeted with the same sort of derision that that piece was greeted with? Uh, But secondly, I think it should be noted that Alpha Bank sues like crazy. They've sued Buzzfeed Mm
1: -hmm. for mentioning
2: them in the dossier. They sued Fusion GPS also over the dossier. And they sent letters to my sources in the story, trying to coerce them into giving up the ultimate source, of the data. So, you know, that's also part of kind of the ecology that the story exists in, where it it is potentially risky to to poke into this. I know a lot of other reporters who started to go down this road and they get kind of furious responses from the bank, and that serves as a deterrent.
0: Hmm. I mean, it is when if we had ever gotten the the original 9-11 style commission to look into Russian interference in the election without even the special prosecutor, but just the wide ranging free investigation that lots of people wanted to commission. We would have looked into how we missed this. And one of the it seems like one of the ways that the media missed it was we were wary about over convicting Trump. Also, it's very hard to read. I think it's still hard for us to read computer science. So like even trying to explain the alpha, the curious alpha bank pings, you know, it's sort of low down on the list when people give their evidence of collusion because it's pings. It could easily seem like, I don't know, invented. It's immaterial. You don't have a scratched up door with duct tape on right. it or anything that like looks real. And then also these litigious parties involved, including, of course, the Trump Organization, but right. also Alpha Bank, which is – and Dexter Filkins' piece makes this clear – Imbricated in the administration now, the Alpha Bank because its lawyers at Jones Day are all over the administration. These are the kind of things that keep journalists, you know, from saying what they know and what they see. And I and I'm I'm very glad, even though it was taxing for you, that you weren't held back by all that.
2: Yeah, well, it, you know, <laughs> me too. And um, you know, as I've thought about this story over time and I, as I've watched coverage of say, the Kavanaugh hearings and other parts of the Trump presidency, I just, you know, there are two, there are two styles of investigation. There's this times end style where the times mm-hmm. goes all in and they don't run things until uh, they're locked down and unimpeachable, like the investigation into Trump's finance or the Harvey Weinstein story. And then there's this other style, which you know, like the Jane Mayer piece, uh, Ronan Farrow piece about Deborah Ramirez or so much of the rest of the coverage of the Russia scandal, where you just have to, you have to kind of take risks with limited amounts of knowledge and information, because it's important to be able to incrementally advance the story, uh, in order to shake other things loose. You know, what was, as we've We've just replayed this. What was maddening was I, I kind of had a first foray and that there wasn't a second or a third, and that the story kind of uh, except in what happened in private, where you had investigators like Dan Jones, who did the Senate Judiciary Committee report on Intel on torture that was so important. former FBI agent and other computer scientists who've been working on this issue very, very quietly to try to get at the truth, you you didn't really have that journalistic effort working in parallel. But I think that there's so much value in doing the best that we can with the information that we have at the time. You know, of course, journalism should do everything in its power not to make mistakes, but journalism still has to take risks.
0: Wonderful distinction between the two ways to report a story. It seems like, and you say in your piece that there's a third way to report a story that all of us are getting a lot of respect for, and that's the having subpoena power and a broad mandate as that great investigative journalist robert Mueller has um and you you conclude your piece this is suspended animation in the age of trump in the atlantic um with great optimism i just this sentence was like i don't know it like got my patriotic heart (laughs) swelling unlike other great mysteries of history you say this one can be solved and soon do you think Mueller has this
2: i do I mean, I I don't. I'm not saying that on the basis of any inside track. I just think that, as I said, the challenge of investigating this story is that it leads in so many different directions, and what what looks like a conspiracy could have been one big conspiracy, could have been a dozen conspiracies running in parallel. But I think that I've I have a high degree of confidence that this is one of the things that the Mueller people looked at, and that. That when there's a final report, this is something that they will inevitably ask Michael Cohen and Paul Manafort about. And when you're dealing with those guys as your primary sources, your odds of getting at the truth, I think, are are pretty high, so long as they're honestly cooperating with the investigation and they have every incentive to honestly cooperate (laughs) with the investigation. So yeah, that's very. I'm praying. I'm praying that uh, that this enigma. Is something that is, is knowable ultimately, and that um, Mueller, whatever report he puts out, if it's not at the core of the story, <laughs> at least tells us what the hell happened.
0: Yes. Even think this might be solved and there might someday be an accounting of what happened on each day. Why was um, Alpha Bank connecting and why was the Betsy DeVos, we didn't g- even get into this, but Eric Prince. I mean, who right. who brought all these players together in the room? Just some yeah. Hercule Poirot moment where yeah. we understand, yeah. you know, where we finally yeah. understand that something happened in time that connected, you know, Trump and Russia in some way or another. And it'll it just right. even fantasizing about the moment where we might get some answers is sort of a like bomb to the soul right, right now. Yeah. Thank you so much, Frank. Your your reporting, as I said, has been a huge part of, of the story that we're trying to tell at Trumpcast over time. And um super grateful to have you.
2: Yeah. Uh, so much fun. Thank you. <laughs>
0: And that's it for today's show. So what'd you think? Let us know by tweeting at RealTrumpCast. And you can tweet at me. I'm at page 88. We'd love to hear your feedback. What do you want us to talk about next? What's important to you that's not getting the coverage you think it should? Our Twitter handle is at RealTrumpCast. And I'm at page 88. And also, come on, I shouldn't have to tell you this twice. You gotta sign up for Slate Plus. That's Slate's membership program. And you can get Trumpcast ad-free with bonus episodes just for members and more. Visit Slate.com/slash plus. Our show today was produced by AC Valdez with help from Shirley Chan. John D. Domenico is, as always, our voice of Donald Trump. I'm Virginia Heffernan. Thanks for listening to Trumpcast.